0: to talk about the good samaritan today and you know it, it's a fantastic thing it, it's so well known like there's hospitals i mean the good samaritan didn't actually wasn't a real person but there's hospitals named after the good samaritan there's lots of works and schools and uh, all over the world like a good uh, samaritan so sometimes when we have these moment something sometimes something can be so familiar that we can actually tune out but i want to tell you that just to stay in expectation i mean we are going to boldly go right where no man has gone before in the good samaritan there's a lot of things in fact i look through my notes and for as long as i've been doing this and doing devotions for worship teams and And giving messages on Sunday, you know, I've never done a sermon on the Good Samaritan. Just like, I think because I just thought everybody knew about it. But I want to tell you, I looked at it afresh. And so what I want you to do right now is, we're going to take uh, just a few seconds, and I want you to personally ask God that he will bring this story and the truths in it afresh to you uh, this morning. Thank you. And you'll find the, the story of the Good Samaritan. The parable is on uh, Luke ten twenty five, And And parables are simply, it was a, a method, a communication method that Jesus... Uh, used often and he would use just the uh, stories of everyday life to convey deep spiritual truths and this is one of the parables Luke 10 25 I'm going to read out of ESV today and it says this and behold a lawyer or some uh, would have it uh, an expert in the law they weren't really attorneys going on handling personal injury cases and this type of thing they were really more kind of the super scholarly religious uh, elite but a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, you know, that's always a bad idea. Have you found that? I'm gonna put God to the test, I'm gonna put Jesus to the test. I want to tell you, you aren't gonna like, uh, you know, He's not gonna get stumped on anything. And He said, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit? eternal life. And this is a question that is asked many, many times in the, in the Bible, right? The rich man asked the same question, what must I do to uh, get eternal life? In, in the jail, the jailer that was around Paul and Silas, when they were pray, praying and worshiping and all heaven broke loose at the end of that, uh, you know, his response was, the jailer's response is, what must I do to be saved? The rich man did the same thing. Right. What how do what do I got to do to inherit eternal life? And now we see this expert in the laws doing the same thing. And many today are asking the same questions. In fact, a lot of you, the whole reason that you're here is because at some point in time in your life and maybe even today, you're asking the question, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to have eternal life? And it really is a question of the, ages, of the ages, because we're all want to look at this thing. We're all looking for significance in this life, and we're certainly looking for assurance in the life thereafter. But as for as many are asking the question, I want to tell you that there's still way too many that are not asking the question: What must I do? to be saved and I want to tell you that uh, church uh, brothers and sisters that if we lived life a little bit differently that there would be more people asking the question what must I do to inherit eternal life And actually, in New Song, we have a lot of goals and a lot of values. There's a lot of tests and kind of benchmarks that we have to determine if we're doing this thing right called church. One of them has to be, are people coming, and if they're in our midst and coming to things, are they asking the question, what do I have to do to get saved? We should not have to be going down and tracking down people and chasing them and nagging them and all of that. I want to tell you, we're going to look at what can kind of breed this this culture. Well, people are just asking, what do I have to do to be saved? We'll see this in this expert of the law. He actually calls Jesus teacher, not Lord. So that's kind of significant. And we'll see as we go through this passage even more and more that he's really not, even though he's calling Jesus teacher, he's really not all that teachable. In fact, most would believe if if they read through this story that he is actually trying to test Jesus. He's trying to trap him. They are jealous of the following that Jesus is uh, building and they are looking to try to trip him up or expose him uh, because they miss being able to control all of the people. They miss the spot, uh, the, the place of glory in the community. And they don't want to give it t- to Jesus. So let's continue in verses 26 through 28. So he asks the question, what do I have to do to uh, earn do to earn eternal life, or inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. So in saying this, the first thing we have to to look at is what Jesus is not saying. And Jesus isn't saying, uh, do this. He's not trying to propose that we can earn our way into heaven. Right? He is talking about this path, this journey of eternal life. We know that we are saved through grace alone, all right by faith alone in Christ alone. And we, there's so, I don't have time to go into it. There are so many verses that in, in Romans and different places that we are not saved by works that any of us could boast. So we are saved by Jesus Christ and Jesus alone. And the other question, that I think it was kind of funny, he's asking, well, how do I inherit, right? What do I have to do to inherit? And the whole point is, is you don't have to do anything. You know, why do you have to do something for your inheritance? Right? We gain our inheritance by virtue of being sons and daughters, right? So let's look at Galatians. It's in the NIV. It says this, so in Christ Jesus, you were all children of God through faith. So that's how we access our inheritance in the first place. And here's what we know, and we talk about this often at New Song, is that we don't do right to become right with god we do right because we are right with god does that make sense we do right because we are right read first corinthians and read the whole thing and you'll see that's paul's huge message that's woven through the whole uh thing and i think Jesus' answer was like he asked him a question jesus says "Well, well what do you know And I think a lot of times that Jesus, we're asking Jesus questions, what do I have to do? And he's, I think he's trying to tell us like, hey, you already know what to do. You already know right from wrong, don't you? If you're, in, if you're saved, if you're indwelt with the Holy Spirit, if you're spending time in God's Word, if you're, living, if, you, if you're in part of a community around a bunch of people that are living out their faith and living out truth, you know what is right and what is wrong. And so often, I want to tell you that we can uh, be looking for all of these profound revelations when we have the simplest of revelations right in front of us and we just simply refuse uh, to do it. Jesus is saying, you already know what to do and and what to do is right. You know, there's that stewardship applies to revelation and truth as well. Like it's easy for us to understand because it's a a physical thing, like a material thing that we get money. We have to be a good, good stewards with that. But, you know, and we know that if we mishandle money, like we probably really shouldn't expect that God's going to give us a whole bunch. The same is true with truth and revelation. We keep asking for the more and the more and the profound and the profound. And I want to tell you that God's word really is uh, about uh, truth. It's about revelation. It's already right in front of us. And if we're not good stewards with what he's shown us last week, why would we expect that he would kind of pour more out? And each time we go through this, a lot of times we just have to know that we have a lot of it. I mean, for this guy... It's just, he's asked the question, uh, Jesus leads him to the answer, it is crystal clear, and it is very, very simple, and you would have thought at that point, he would just say, right, I kind of knew that all along. Have you guys ever felt that way? I mean, that really could have been his response, but instead he goes and he seeks uh, a loophole, because his highest value is not really... Uh, living for God, knowing God, and doing what is right. His highest value is maintaining some sort of spirit, some sort of superficial spirituality. His highest value is appearing holy and being revered and being honored for his good works on his effort. I want to tell you, a lot of times legalistic people can seem like they're really living for God, and they are setting such high, high standards. But I want to tell you, every time they start adding a tradition or some other man-made law to the very, very simple things of God, all of a sudden what they're really trying to do is lower the bar. They're trying to throw in these exceptions to the rule, trying to lower the bar so far that they can get over that bar with their own efforts. They don't need God. But we would never do that, would we? It's important as we go through this story. You know who we are in this story? Yeah, we're the religious guy. And when he asks the question, we're going to see, who is my neighbor? Verse 29 says, but he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, uh, and who is my neighbor? We can see that he is just trying to lower the bar. He's looking for a loophole. He's looking for an exception. It's like, well, what if it's on Sunday, on the Sabbath? What if it's an addict? What if it's somebody that got in that position because they just darn well deserved it? But we'll see that Jesus is always raising the standard higher. He is asked the question, what do I have to do? Jesus tells him. He tries to throw in this loophole or this exception. He's trying to lower the bar. And I want to tell you that uh, religious people can often be like this. They're so worried about raising the bar as high as possible, and they lose sight of trying to. The great mission of Jesus is to try to help people over the bar. But their priority remains trying to get the bar higher and higher and higher or lower and I'm sorry, lower and lower and lower. They think they're getting it higher, but they're just putting in all these exceptions so that they can make it on their own. But Jesus is constantly pushing the bar up. Right. A religious person back in the day could say, hey, I haven't murdered anybody. And what did Jesus say? If you've been angry with somebody, you have murdered them. If you hold anger in your heart. Well, I've never slept around with another man or another woman. Jesus said what? If you've lusted, you've committed. So he is raising this bar so crazy high because the whole idea is, is, is that for the religious leaders, they just needed to know, like, they could never do it on their own. They had to have a Savior. They had to fully rely on God. Jesus is raising the bar so high, we're going to see that in this next response as he talks about the Good Samaritan, we're going to see that he raises the bar so high that the only person that could possibly live this out is somebody that is relying on God totally and is absolutely moving by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the only way that you can attain these. Jesus isn't setting us up for failure, but he is saying that, hey, there is a whole new age in the kingdom. This is how it's supposed to be. And Jesus replied, uh, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead or as as good as dead. I want to tell you that this guy really was not going to recover from his wounds. He is out there. He is exposed to uh, the elements. And really what he needs is he needs to be choppered down to CMC, like a lifeline thing all the way down there, because he's probably not going to make it. He needs to spend some time in intensive care And I want to tell you in short that this man right here, that he needs a miracle. He doesn't need sympathy or well wishes. This man needs a miracle in his life. And verse 31, we'll continue. Verse 31, 32. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road. And this road, just so you know, was called kind of like Blood Alley because there was just, it was so treacherous, so many robbers. It was just infested with all sorts of uh, bad people, like with bad intent. And it was common that people would get jumped and and beaten and and robbed. But uh, now, by chance, a priest was going down that road and just like, what luck, right? His prayers answered. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Next verse, 32. So likewise, a Levite. So this is the worship leader. The first guy was a pastor. Walks right by the guy. The next person is a worship leader. Now, Michaela Hooper would never do that. I can say. But in this story... Right? This is it. Like, it's wh- what he's trying to point out is the two people that you would really think the most righteous people that you just know are going to do the right thing have every opportunity to do the right thing, and they just keep on passing by. Because for them, I want to tell you that their religion has become a very self serving thing, it's become an end of itself. And Jesus is shifting things. As he's telling this story, he's getting all the listeners around to like, oh, my gosh, to really kind of uh, tune in. And he's saying that in in Jesus' kingdom, that righteousness is not going to be defined by the appearance of being holy or by being a better scholar or by climbing the ladder of success. That it was going to be defined by the compassion that was shown to the vulnerable. Uh, compassion that was shown to humankind. That's what he said. The first is love the Lord your God. So it's this vertical thing. We get that. And then, and even notice that the guy, the rich, or the, the, the religious guy, he didn't ask like, well, how do I love God? But the thing he's struggling with is the horizontal stuff, isn't he? Well, this is where he's looking for the loophole. This is where he's looking for the way out. This is where he's trying to lower the bar because he's afraid he doesn't know this great and awesome power. Because even though this guy has probably memorized all of the new Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi, like two-thirds of the Bible, he doesn't know God. He doesn't know the heart of the Father, so he, he asked that question. I want to tell you, if you have to ask that question, who is my neighbor, you're probably not equipped to go and do it. I think in the end, you know, when we get to heaven, I think we're all going to be a little bit surprised about who got in and who didn't. Anyway, so who's going to do the right thing? Everybody that would have been listening to Jesus at that point was just like, and that point of the story is like, oh, oh, the worship leader, oh. oh." (laughs) So who do you think as the world is looking at the crazy circumstances of today, looking at racial division looking at violence looking at isis looking at governments being overthrown all of that who do you think to the world and to uh, that it makes the most sense to do the, the, who's going to do the right thing well the church should that's the thing that makes the most sense in the kingdom, for us to really rise and shine, is not going to be to memorize a bunch more scripture verses. It's going to be just to do the right thing that we already know. Those, like, it's just all summarized in two verses. Isn't it, Jesus, nice? You don't have to memorize all of the Old Testament or all of the New Testament or Romans 8 or anything like that. All you have to remember is love the Lord your God and love others as we're loving ourselves. So, church, this is the great calling. Verses 33 and 35. But a Samaritan, as he's journeying, right now I want to tell you that every Jew in the room it just, is just like losing it at this point. It's like, <gasps> you would hear the gasp, uh, and the grumbling would start at this point. Like, what in the heck is he talking? He's bringing a Samaritan into, into this. As he journeyed, he came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had Compassion. Everybody, see that again. He had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, "Take care of him, and whatever you sp- and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back." And this is something that we've talked about. I know here before is that. Notice in verse thirty-three is that he has compassion, not sympathy. And what we're going to learn in the kingdom of God, it exposes the fact that sympathy is the counterfeit of compassion. Sympathy is what the worship leader and the priest had. Maybe they looked and maybe they even kind of felt bad, but they kept on going. But compassion, when you have compassion on someone, it it compels you to take action, right? It says that Jesus had compassion on us. Isn't that awesome? Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't just have sympathy on us? He went to war. He did something about our condition. Because the truth is, is we were the guy on the side of the road that was naked, that was beat up, that was left, and that was half dead. That's us. And Jesus came down from the very worship of angels and the heavenly beings, right? The The crowns being tossed at his feet. Holy, holy, holy. He leaves that to come and save us from our condition. So sympathy asks the question, what might happen to me if I stopped? And compassion asks the question, what would happen to them if I don't stop? You see the difference? What would happen to me if I stopped? Uh, There's some limitations here. I'll be worse off. I might get something taken from me. I might get tricked. I might get taken advantage of. I guarantee you probably will. Compassion asks the question, what would happen to them if I don't stop? And I want to tell you that the Samaritan worth holds nothing as he loved this guy. I mean, I doubt he's carrying a first aid kit like we would have a first aid kit. He said he had wounds and the guy was naked, so he probably covered. I'm just thinking like... He's probably going down, it's like, you see somebody that needs some help, you don't have a first aid kit, and all you got on is your 49er jersey. Right. And it's from the year they won the championship. You're like, dang, what do I got to do? You know, but you got to, like, rip this thing off. It's going to cost you something. And you got to wind them up. You got to do it. Notice also, too, when he talks about pouring out the oil and pouring out the wine, that he doesn't just take it, he's not just dabbing it on. Right, Just a little bit. He is pouring it out. He is uh, indulging in this. He is engaging in it and expending himself in every way possible. He puts no financial limit on the help and the grace that he is going to show to this person. This good Samaritan personally covers him and carries him to the place of revelation. You know, and sometimes miracles just happen, and God does them without our help at all. Sometimes the heart valve just closes back up. Sometimes bones get healed. I I get all that, but you know what? Sometimes, uh, you know, you get groceries on your front doorstep. Because somebody did something for you. Sometimes you find that you've received uh, an amount of cash from somebody. You don't really know where it came from. Well, well, God did it, yes. But the truth is, too, is that somebody actually put a little bit in the plate for you. This is an opportunity when we see situations like this, and this is the calling of a church, is that we get to be somebody's miracle. Verse 36, which of these three... This is Jesus talking to the, uh, the legal expert guy. Which one of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the one who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So you see, like, this guy's getting it the whole time. He may be asking questions and all that, but he knows the right thing to do, right? He's read through the scriptures, and and you can see that maybe he's kind of shifting now, and maybe he's just like flat out. He knows he's not going to trap Jesus in anything. It was a dumb idea to kind of test him anyway. But here's it. Jesus leaves it at this, go and do. Go and do. So this is the answer. Whenever he comes to this thing, it's twice now that he's told them to do. Do likewise. Go and do. And go and do means this. Like you may not be able to sit around and have people that have needs. Sometimes you might have to walk across the street. You might have to get up. You might have to be intentional. I'm just telling you that we... Do so, doing is important, but for Jesus, the isu- real issue was isn't who is our neighbor, but for Jesus, the answer lied in who has proved themselves to be a neighbor. And I want to tell you if we engage in going out and proving ourselves as neighbor, people are going to start this world's going to start asking the question, What then do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Right? The evangelism thing takes a whole different approach in this. So the parable is about serving others, but now we're going to get, like, a little bit deeper. You guys ready for this? Ready. Here we're going to go. We're going there anyway. Jesus is, is, is you know, is, is constant. Like, people knew that you were supposed to care. Like, in, in Deuteronomy and places like that, they knew they were supposed to take care of, of widows and orphans, and they knew they were supposed to take care of aliens. Yeah, illegal aliens. They were supposed to take care of them. They knew that if somebody was hurt and lying on the side of the road, you had to give them a hand, and they knew if somebody had an animal, your horse or your donkey or whatever got on the side of the road, like you were you were obligated to 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 help. so he knows all of uh these things. So this serving thing is nothing new, but here's what's new, and here's why Jesus interjects the whole thing with the Samaritan, and that is is the call to help people that are nothing like us to reach across the divides to instead of walking on the other street to like take a walk on the other side of the street to stop and to get engaged it's really about jesus is trying to say that in the kingdom everything is shifted as as far as how we are to see other people You know, we think we have a racial divide, and we do, between blacks and whites, or Hispanics and blacks, or however however else it can work, but I want to tell you, nothing was as divided as it was between a Jew and a Samaritan. Like, Jews and Gentiles, yeah, they were divided, and they spoke poorly of each other, but I want to tell you that it was the Jew, uh, the Gentile, and then down below that was the Samaritan. They were looked as half-breeds because they had intermarried and, and gone against, they were kind of like... Sort of in one camp, sort of in another, but really not in either camp. But I want to tell you, in that society, they are at the very bottom and that they were despised. But the whole point is that we are to love people. We are to be, go in and be miracles and be like this healing thing. We, it's up to us to go out and pour out the oil and pour out the wine on our culture, on our country, and in the broken places in the places where people are vulnerable, where people have been beat up and ripped off. In Jesus' kingdom, the neighbor is anyone who needs help. Anyone who needs help. That's who our neighbor is. And we're faced with a very, very similar story today. And we cannot just keep going and walking on the other side of the road. Right? This is called ignoring. That's where we get the word ignorance from. The word's Misused a lot in terms of like trying to refer to somebody's mental capacity. Ignorance has nothing to do with somebody's mental capacity. Ign- ignorance is just ignoring something. Is it refusing to engage with empathy. Uh, uh, a, a, a just uh, building up of certain thoughts and ideas and views so that it keeps us from uh, just to provide loopholes so that we don't have to take any risks. So pour out the oil and pour out the wine. So we're gonna give you, I'm going to give you four quick points here. What does that look like to us? The first thing is ask God to reveal to you the prejudice and the bias in your own heart. Here's what I found out this week. I'm more prejudiced than I thought I was. And as much revelation as came with that, I could probably say the same thing next week and on and on i have biases i have prejudice that i've built up it all it's coming out of fear but the whole point with jesus is trying to say is like if you got this vertical thing going with god you know then the horizontal can can fit into place and if you're having trouble with the horizontal i mean go vertical for a while spend time with god seek him with your whole heart Um, deal with any fear or bitterness. The second is to remove uh, loopholes. Are we saying, who is my neighbor? Or in short, let let me translate that for you into English, is who's not worthy of my love? So just make a list. See how far you get. Because we're all making that list. Right? It's not a spoken list. But we have it. We categorize sins. That one's like pretty bad. This one's not so bad. So I can hang out with these people, but not though. No, no, not that. So sit down, make a list, and then deal with it. The third is don't get political, get relational. Relate with people that are different than you. Engage with someone with a different background. You may have to engage with somebody that's older. Or younger. You might have to deal with somebody with tattoos. Or you might have to deal with somebody that doesn't have tattoos. Speaks English, doesn't speak English. Just killing it with the money. Boom. Uh, Not doing so well with the money. All sorts of backgrounds. All sorts of ethnicities, saved and unsaved. So, and like Jesus said, go and do likewise. Be someone's miracle. And we have some opportunities uh, for us to do that. I want to go over those uh, this morning. We have, many of you know about Caterpillar Ministries. Do you guys know about Caterpillar Ministries? And why don't you raise your hand? And Rich and Laura—they work. Oh, not Laura, Susie. Yeah, they've devoted their lives to ministry in a trailer park. We're one of their great partners in it. We have been for a long time. And out of we impact about two hundred kids a week out of there. And how many of them are from minorities? About 160 out of the 200, we have an awesome opportunity to walk on that side of the street to get involved. Now, we do. If you give here at New Song Church, part of what we give every week, it goes towards... Uh, Caterpillar Ministries, but there's many, many, many more ways to get involved. I encourage you to go to their Facebook page, and you can see all of these awesome things. We have Love Life Charlotte. It's it's a it's a prayer movement to end abortion in Charlotte in 2016. It's a great thing, and I want to tell you, there's churches of all sorts. There's black churches, Hispanic churches, white churches. I want to tell you, on Saturday morning, it's a very integrated type of uh thing, but here's the thing. We're trying to help moms that are considering having abortion. We're trying to provide an alternative to help them, to help uh, the baby daddy, to help their husbands, to help the the child, all of these things. And I want to tell you, what percentage of the abortions do you think uh, they're at La Trobe or for uh, women that are of minorities? About 70%. Seven out of ten. So there are ways that you can absolutely get. So there's ways that you can walk across the street. There's ways to get involved. I encourage you to go and, and pray and make this difference. But the other thing is you have lots of other people in your life that you can do the exact same thing for. Go and do. We've got, let's pour out... The oil, let's pour out the wine and looking at this story, especially to the vulnerable, especially to those that aren't like us. And then we're going to see the question being asked a whole lot more What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? What do I have to do to be saved? need more ideas than that. I want to tell you, you know the right thing to do. Guarantee it. So don't put any limit on how Jesus' love can work through you. To the miracles that can be brought to those that need Him very much so.